This morning we're in 1 John chapter 5 together. If you'd like to turn there with me, please. 1 John chapter 5. Last week, as we were looking at the Word together, we talked about something that we all wanted to talk about, which was love and perfect love. This week, again, we're talking about something we all want to talk about, which is overcoming the world. And don't you feel that pull in your heart and in your mind and in the world all around you that, oh, only if I could just overcome the evil of this world. If only the evil of this world could be overcome, then the contentment of my soul would be found. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, I know that as we read those few verses, you're thinking, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I've not heard these concepts before, that if you are born of God, that you should love the children of God. And actually, what we're thinking is, John, I think we get the idea that if a person is born of God, that person is also loving the children of God. But here is what John does, and it is the great beauty of it that we have to embrace, we should embrace, is that this is the way that John is communicating to us in telling us the same thing over and over, but from different angles and with a different emphasis to prove his point each time. And so as we read it this time, and as this same general principle is put into place, we're going to see it, and we're going to see some different implications about that truth today, about overcoming the world. What does overcoming the world have to do with loving God and loving his children? Those seem to be different concepts, different sermons, but in fact, they're the same concept in the same sermon. <clears throat> Excuse me. What John is doing right here is he is yet again displaying for us a distinction between true and false conversions. Three concepts, you can see them in this one verse. Those who have faith in Jesus have been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, we see that. Those who have been born of God love God, that's implied by the next concept, and everyone who loves the Father. And then the third thing, those who love God love all who have been born of God. Do you see these three things here? Notice that it's a logical progression. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ have been born of God. And those people who have been born of God love God. And those people who love God love all who have been born of God. Do you see? You see how they all relate. Remember what John said in his gospel, John 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of the blood, nor of the will of man or the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Here's, here's the three ideas that are being spoken of here. It's not a physical birth. 
that he's talking about. It's not a birth that you created on your own. It's not a birth that you decided to have on your own. But instead, altogether, the sum total of your rebirth is all God himself. You have been born of God. You have been born from God. You have not been born of yourself. You have not been born from yourself. You have been born from the hand of God himself. You have been born of God. You have been born from God. You didn't make yourself be born again. The amount of control you have over making yourself born again is the same amount of control you had in making yourself born in the first place. How much control did you have over that? I didn't want to be born. Job cursed the day of his birth. We don't have control over it. You also don't have that control over being born again because it is of God. It is of God. Those who have faith in Christ Jesus have been born of God. In other words, all who have been born of God are those who have faith in Christ. There are none who have been born of God that do not have faith in God. Show me the one who's been born of God and yet doesn't have faith in God. How could those possibly go together? Where is that one? That one doesn't exist. All who have been born of God truly truly have faith in God, truly love God. And the same is just as true. Those who have been born of God love God, and all who love God love the children of God. Show me the one who has been born of God and yet does not love the children of God. Where is that one? You say, well, I know that one. I know the one who's been born of God but yet doesn't love the children of God. Oh, do you? Because actually what John is saying is, All those who have been born of God truly, truly love God and truly love the children of God. So that one doesn't actually exist. It's false. It's a false conversion. You say you love God, but you don't love his children? Incorrect. That doesn't exist. You must not love God. You must not have been born of God. And that seems a bit extreme. Yeah, it does. But John wants us to understand that there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who have true conversion by faith and those who do not. There are no other worlds to find yourself in. You either love God and you love his children or you don't. There's no world in between. Proper love for God's children then comes through proper love for God. Would you say that's true? Yes. Proper love for God comes through proper faith in Christ. Can you love God without having proper faith in Christ? No. Can you love a person without having love for God? I cannot. Question. Do other believers look at you and your love for God's children and say this, you must have a deep love for God and you must have great faith in Jesus because I see it in the way you love God's children. Or you must have pretty weak faith in Christ and you must love God just a little bit because you don't love God's children very much. And to that we probably say what? That kind of sounds more like me, I think. My weak love and my weak faith are on display in my weak love for God's children. 
you know, there's a big warning in Scripture about showing partiality, isn't there? James says, someone comes into your assembly, which, by the way, indicates that it's a public assembly. Right? Someone comes into your assembly, and they're finely dressed, you know, they look good. They look like us, you know. They look like they belong here. Hey, here's a seat by me. Take this seat. And then someone comes in that doesn't look like you. And you say, hey, you can probably sit in the back or something. More often what we do is simply ignore them. Tell me. In your partiality, are you loving? And isn't this James' whole point? And he is saying, faith without works is dead. Why are you making distinctions between yourselves? A child of God is a child of God. Whether he is rich or poor, whether he stinks or he smells good, whether he looks like you or does not. Do you understand? Do you think it is a temptation for us, however, to love those people better who are like us and to love those people less who are not like us? Would you agree with me? Would you agree that we need to change that about ourselves because if we love God truly, then we are going to love all his children, whatever they look like, whatever they're like, because we are all very different, yes? We are all very different. And so what is it that binds us together? Proper faith in Christ is what bonds us together, right? Our love for God binds us together. And because we have faith in Christ and we have love for God, guess what else we have? Love for one another. A love that is impartial and sincere, right? Are we practicing an impartial and sincere faith? Are we practicing an impartial and sincere love for one another? You ever been part of a church uh, where there are groups of people, cliques? I say that to be funny because no one's ever been a part of a church that didn't have cliques. You've been part of a church that has cliques? Do you like that? Except, what do you find? That you become part of one of those cliques. You enable the cliques. And what happens in cliques of people is that we stay contained within our little group and our comforts and let everybody else be on the outside, right? And so our love becomes partial to those people who are closest to us. And who are those people that we generally become closest with? The people that look most like us. The cliques form out of people who look most like themselves. Are you befriending and loving those people that are unlike you in this congregation? That's the question. Or are you simply drawn to those who are like you, most like you, have the same desires, likes, affections, dress like you, listen to the same music as you, look like you, smell like you? Because those are the people I'm most comfortable with. Or is it that we are befriending those people and loving those people that are unlike us? A question for our consideration this morning. What does our love look like truly? Show your love for one another. Why 
because God has loved you so much and he has befriended you. Are you like God? Does he only love those people that are just like him? I would hope not. None of us would be loved by God, right? But yet, here we are. We find ourselves loved by God, someone who is holy, completely other than us, and yet he loves us. Do other believers in this room feel loved by you? Have you shown them, have you shown them love? This is just our introduction to the concept today. Are you thinking with me? Are we seeing how there is work yet to be done in our hearts and our display of love for the people of God? Do you love them? I think maybe that's the bigger question, isn't it? Do you love the children of God? You need to answer that question in your own heart. If you do not love the children of God, tell me why might that be? John already told us. I'm just going to make it plain for you. The people who have faith in Christ and love God love the children of God. If you do not love the children of God, what does this say? There is not love for God, there is not faith. It's a matter of faith. That's the issue. It's a faith issue. And this faith issue is what John is going to explain to us in these next few verses. Your display of love for one another is a faith issue at its core, okay? What does John have to say about that? Before we move on in our text, I just want to answer a quick question. What about when genuine believers struggle with love for God's children? I think that might be a question we have right here, right? Because we've created a black and white area, but you say, but I want to love, but I have to admit that I struggle with it. Would you say you find yourself in that category? I actually believe that probably most of us find ourselves in that category. So what of that? Is my struggle, does my struggle to love indicate that I don't have love and I don't have love for God or I'm not loved by God and therefore I don't have faith? Or is my struggle an indication of itself that I have a desire for love and that God is working in my heart? The struggle is there for a reason. If you don't have a struggle with it, you don't care. If you have a struggle for it, guess what? I think you might actually care that that root is there, that seed, is it's growing into something. But man, hey, we grew some stuff from seed. I say we, I mean Amanda. Grew some stuff from seeds this year. If you do that, see, we've only ever bought the ones that are, I don't even know the terminology, you know, the little plantlings, you know. We, we, we bought the, what, the ones that are this big. I know there's a term for it. I don't know it. So we bought plantlings, and we planted them in the ground, and then it's like, okay, it already kind of has root. It's already growing a little bit. I can take care of that. But what about when it grows from a seed and it needs gentle care? I need to be really careful, especially when it's this big. I have to admit, I will admit to you, she's not even in here. I'm going to admit it. I was using the weed eater the other day, and it got out of hand a little bit. <laughs> and one of these little tiny little things, it's just, it's gone. Got to be careful. But you know what? When someone, something already has roots on it and it is growing strong, it is far harder to just so simply kill that thing. We need to be growing, growing, growing 
love for God and one another. And sometimes we have to recognize that it is a very gentle, fragile thing that you better be very careful with it or you're going you're gonna to kill it. It's gone. Where is it? But are you nurturing it? Are you caring for it? Letting it grow? Or are you neglecting it? You see where I'm going? What are we doing with this in our lives? So just by summary here, what I'm saying is love for God's children is a primary indicator that a person has love for God and faith in Jesus. Do you see that? That is what John is saying in chapter 5, verse 1, is that love for God's children, that outworking, that display, is a primary indicator that a person has love for God and faith in Jesus, but it has to be genuine has to be something that is truly flowing from the heart and it is a faith issue and that's what John is telling us. And then one more thing and we're going to look at verses uh, 2 through 5. Romans 13:8. Just make a make a note of Romans 13:8 if you're taking notes. It says, "Oh no one anything Maybe we can fill in the blank, except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love them. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Okay, so this is Paul saying to a whole church, listen, we know that we need to be loving one another, but you know what? You guys are so good at it. I don't need to tell you that. You know that and you're doing it and I can see it. Is that what he would say to us? Writing a letter to FRC. But you know that. I don't need to tell you that. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it, do they? But then he says, but we urge you still, brothers. So I already know that you know. Everybody sees it and sees you doing it, but we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. Haven't I done it enough? Haven't I met my mark of love for other people? Let me tell you all I did to love people this week. And now I'm going to just take a break because loving people is exhausting. Loving people can wear you out and you know it to be true. Some people are hard to love. Some people make it easier for me to love them, right? So when am I done already? I'm exhausted from loving people. Sometimes we throw our hands up in the air altogether, don't we? And in my effort in doing that, I have a desire, but that effort, do you know what happened to me last time I tried to love you? I'm not gonna do that again. And sometimes it stops us from pursuing love. The reality that we must know moving forward, a concept that we need to take with us through these verses, is that love for God's children is a continual debt that must be paid. Owe no one anything except to love them. In other words, that is a debt that remains outstanding. You can never pay it back enough. That's the only thing left. It should be left. Give respect to them. That's, that meets its mark. You know, pay back the money that's owed to them. That meets a mark. You're done. But to love them, 
no matter how much love I give you, guess what? There is still an outstanding debt to your account that I need to pay. Get the idea? You can never love someone to where you've loved them enough. And now, move on to the next one. Now I've loved you enough, good. Next. And I'm just going to make it through the whole congregation and then, oof, I'll take a break because that's exhausting. It's never a debt that you can repay in full. It always is an outstanding debt. So we must be pursuing love. Do this more and more. The wording there is, it's not, it's not like our word, it's the same, more and more. It's two words that I say. It's two different words in the Greek. And he says, do this abundantly more. Do this exceedingly more. Keep going. Don't give up. Now's not the time to stop loving. Now's the time to love more than you've ever loved. Never give up on it. Do it more. Do it better. This should be our driving force as those who have been loved by God and have faith in Christ. And so what does mature love love look like? Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, you know this, but let me just read it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. How can, how, I don't know. You're telling me to love other people in this church. I don't even know what that means. Well, are you being patient with them? Mm. Are you, love is kind. Well, how am I supposed to love? Are you being kind to them? No. Well, that's a way to love them. Love does not envy or boast. Stop boasting in front of that. You know, it's not loving a person. It's not arrogant or rude. You having an arrogant and rude disposition toward other people, that's not loving to them. Stop doing that. How do you love other people around you? How do you love one another? Don't be arrogant or rude with them. It does not insist on its own way. (laughs) We love to insist on our own way. Some people more than others. But it's a temptation because at the heart of that is idolatry because we set ourselves up as God. And when things don't come out the way we like it, no, 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 no. We're going to do it my way. I don't like it that way. I don't like when we do things this way. I want to sing songs that I like. And I don't like these songs. And we're insisting that things be the way we want them to be. That's not loving toward other people. It's not loving to God's children to insist on your own way. Now, to insist on God's way is a totally different deal. We, you better be insisting on God's way. We all better be insisting on God's way. But to s- insist on your own way, that's, that's, not, that's not loving. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. <laughs> you hear that someone had car trouble. You told them You told them, don't buy that thing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You want to know how to love other people? Be more like this. It's an attitude. It's a thought. It's your heart's disposition toward other people. If this is the way you are acting... If this is the way we all were acting toward one another, we would be loving one another. But even then, we need to do it more and more, more abundantly, exceedingly so. Are you exceeding yesterday's love for the children of God today? It's growing and growing. 
I'm ever looking for how I can love God's people. So let's look at what John has to say. 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3. So we imagine ourselves as John's original readers, and they say something like, okay, I want to love the children of God, and I, I think that I am. I think that I do. I think, I think that's me. But how can I know for sure? Because if I'm someone who's not loving the children of God, that indicates that I don't have love for God and I don't have faith. That's what you're telling me. So how can I be sure that I am that person who's loving God's children? And so John, anticipating this question, gives us an answer. And that's what he says. By this, we know that we love the children of God. Oh, good, because I had that question. When we love God and obey his commandments, that's how you know that you love the children of God. When you love God and you obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. The first idea found in our text is that the more a person comes to love God, the more love there is for his commands. The more a person comes to love God, the more love there are for his commands. You know this to be true even relationally speaking. Find a person that you don't care too much about. Do you care what they have to say? Not really. Now find someone you care deeply for. Do you care what they have to say? Yeah. Do you see how this might work with your relationship with the Lord? The more love you have for the Lord, guess what you're also going to love? What he has to say. So the deeper your affections take root in God himself, the more you're going to love and appreciate what he has had to say to us. Has your love for God's word grown over time or has it diminished? Because the two actually work in a cycle with one another. Because we're in the word, which means we're learning more about God and he's and he's working through his word to transform us and to renew our minds and our thinking about him. And if we think rightly about God, guess what that does? It increases our affection and our love for him. And that brings us back to his word, which gives us more information about God. And when we learn more about God, it increases our affection for him. And so it, it starts this, until one day I'm too busy to read my Bible, and I'm too busy to be with God's people, and too much stuff has happened, and I'm going to let that go by the wayside. And all of a sudden you realize... I have not read my Bible, prayed, or been to church in a while, and my life shows it. Isn't that how it works? But the more a person comes to love God, the more love there, are for, the more love there is for his commands. I'll just read for you a couple of verses out of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is great for this. The whole, read the whole thing. You know, it's just one chapter. Psalm 119. Verses 10 through 16 is what I'm going to read. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why would you not want to sin against God? Do you, do you hear that there's a desire to not sin against God? I don't want to because I love him. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. 
I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Is this your disposition toward God and his word? I'm not going to forsake them. I love God's words. I want them more because I love God. I love all that he has had to say, and I want more of it, and I want my life to reflect it. When there is a heart that love, that has love for God, that heart only wants to know more of him because we always know there's more. It's, it's never-ending. He is never-ending. There is more. To hear his word and to keep all that he has said is a delight to us and not a burden, as John has said. To hear the commands of God and to think, yes, I want to do that. I want to do that. Or to hear the commands of God and think, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's a burden to me to have to do that. To read my Bible is a burden. To pray is a burden to me. To come to church is a burden to me. And those are basic. That's about as basic as it gets. And yet, they're already a burden to us. Even the basics are a burden to us. Do you see it? But are the commands of God a delight to your heart? I love the commands of God. And just because I love it doesn't mean I do it perfectly. But listen, I love it still. I love God. I love his commands. I seek them out with all that I am because I love them. I I love the commands of God. So there are two different ways to view the words coming out of God's mouth, right? Those that see God's words as a weight that you can't bear. And those who see God's word as a delight to your being. Two different views of the same thing. Do you delight in the word of God and the law of God and his commands and all that he has said? Or does it seem like a weighty burden to you? Because John is saying, if all this is, is more rules and burden to you, then it's because you don't love God and have faith in Christ. It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. This is what John is trying to point us at. By the way, do you know what God has commanded you? Because we hear, oh, we love the commands of God. Uh, I kind of like that idea, but um, if you simply retreat to the Ten Commandments, I mean, you're kind of thinking right, but that's, that's not exactly what we're talking about, to retreat to the law of God. Because as John has told us in 1 John chapter 3, listen to what it says. It's just one verse. Listen to what it says about God's commandments. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment. He's summing it up for us. That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Oh, So to love the commandments of God means to love loving his children. Is loving God's children a burden to you, a burden you don't want to bear? Or is loving God's children a delight to your heart? Doesn't mean it's even a delight to your heart. Doesn't mean it's like that, right? And stack them. Well, every now and then they'll come across a large thing that they can't carry. 
it's impossible to pick that thing up. It's funny because they'll actually get together and try to lift it together. It, that's, I like that. You know, they're working as a team. They still can't get it. They can't pick that one up. Why? Because they're incapable. They don't have that strength. So they look at something and they say, I can't lift that. All of us together can't lift that. And that is the unbelieving world when it comes to love. Everybody get together who doesn't love God. Everybody who doesn't have faith, get together and try to love. You can't do it. You can't pick it up. It's a weight you can't bear. But now for us, who have had faith in Christ and have the Spirit of God and have the love of God, we can. We can do it. We can pick it up. And it's not even a burden to us. It's a delight to us to do it. You see how different these two worlds are? Is it a delight to you to love? Look at verses four and five. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Where did this idea all of a sudden come from, overcoming the world? I thought we were talking about loving each other. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Who does that? Who's the person who overcomes the world? Well, First of all, what does it mean to overcome the world? I like how that sounds. I want to overcome the world. I don't know what that means exactly, but it sounds positive. I want to overcome the world. Well, like, you want to take control of the whole world? What does that mean? You want to overcome the world. But he's saying, here's the reason the commands of God are not burdensome to you. Because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's why they're not burdensome to you. What does that mean? To love the children of God is not burdensome to you because you have overcome the world. That's why it's not a burdensome task to you. Okay, what is the world? Why should we overcome the world? Why do we need to have victory over the world? And what does this have to do with the command to love the children of God? I think all valid questions. John has defined for us what the world is. Do do remember I told you that the word world is defined about 17 ways in the New Testament. So depending on its context, it could mean about 17 different things when you say the world. But what has John meant in context? Look at 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Just turn back a page or so. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Look at how the world is defined by John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so when we looked at that in detail, here is how we defined the world. What is the world? The world is the sphere of rebellion to God. The world is the sphere of rebellion to God. John just told us it's desires. That's the stuff that's passing away. That's the stuff that is the world. It's something internal. It's it's sin that has taken over. And it's what's going on in the world around us. And the things in the world are the thoughts and the attitudes of those people who are caught up in the rebellion against God. That's the world. And so I have a little 
diagram here. I hope this is helpful to you. Some of you are going to say, well, it would be helpful if I could read it. So let me read it for you. I understand it's a bit small. This outer dark circle says, overcome by the world. Next we have hate for the children of God. Next we have hate for the commandments of God. Next we have hate for God himself. And then at the core of it is without faith, unbelief. When a person is overcome by the world, this outer ring holds you in slavery to all of these things. It influences all of these things. So how do you view the children of God? I hate them. How do you view the commands of God? I hate them. How do you view God himself? I hate him. Do you have faith in God? No. Or, unfortunately, some people might answer, sure, yeah. Do you believe in God? Not the God of the Bible. But yes, I have faith. I'm a person of faith. If you want to kind of delve a little deeper into that issue, we're talking about worldview issues on Wednesday nights. So just want to encourage you to come and be part of that conversation with us over the next four weeks. But when a person is overcome by the world, every thought and attitude they have is held captive to the desires and the thoughts of the world. There is no breaking free because the world holds you in that we are held in captivity to these concepts. Because the world has overcome this person, there is a hate for the children of God. Because the world has overcome this person, there is a hate for the commandments of God. Because the world has overcome this person, there is hate for God himself. Because the world has overcome this person, this person is without faith. Romans 1, 29 through 31. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Their gossip, slanders, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's the world holding you in captivity to all of that. How do you get out? Well, we have to overcome the world then. Yes, let's overcome the world then. Let's break free from this captivity. Let's break free from its bondage. I don't want to hate the children of God, the commands of God. I don't want to hate God himself. Sure, I want to be a person of faith. So how do I do it? Well, we'll, we overcome the world. Great. So what you do is you start from the outside. That's why the arrow is working into the middle. You start from the outside. You say, world, I'm overcoming you. So I'm going, to st- I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to get it together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start loving people. I'm going to start being obedient to what the Bible says, you know, whatever that means. And then I'm going to start loving God, you know, God, wh- whatever God is. And then that, that will make me a person of faith, and that's what I want to be. That's one way you could approach it. That's the way the person without faith might approach it. And unfortunately, we have churches full of people who approach this problem this way. Because what they hear is, you're not loving enough. Oh, well, I'll love more than. You don't like the commandments of God. You don't love them. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try them. I'll try them. I'll try more. You, you don't have faith. Well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get my life cleaned up. So getting your life cleaned up makes you have faith? What are we saying? 
Do you get how people are confused by this message? Clean your life up, and that means you're a person of faith. You start at the outside, you start at the issues, and you work your way in. Is that how to handle it? Is that what John is telling us? There is something that overcomes the world, and what is the thing that overcomes the world? Our faith. Because faith in Jesus is at the core, and it works its way out. But before we get to that, hate, disobedience, and unbelief are the results of the world's victory over a person. And this is what you see at work in the world around you, and this is what hurts your heart, right? This is what weighs you down. There is so much hate. There's so much disobedience to God. There is so much unbelief. You all tell me these things. I know we feel it. But it's because the world has had victory over them. So what do we do? What's the solution? We'll get people cleaned up. That's, that's the solution. Get them going to church. Go to church. Stop doing that stuff. Is that the answer? That's starting at the outside and trying to work your way in. It's trying to force victory over a world that you can't have victory over. Wrong answer. The answer is this. Faith in Christ. When a person overcomes the world, things are turned around and this is what it looks like. So now instead of being overcome by the world, you overcome the world. Instead of hate for the children of God, there is love for the children of God. Instead of hate for the commandments of God, there is love. Instead of hate for God, there is love. Because at the root of it all is faith. If you are a person of faith, guess what happens? You love God, you love God's commandments, you love the children of God, and by that faith, you overcome the world. You see, it starts in the middle and it works its way out. How do you overcome the world? How do I love God's people? What's the answer? Please tell me you know. Faith. There's the point. Did you get it? How do I love God's people more? Faith. Don't come at it from the outside in. Come at it from the inside out. Lack of love for the people of God is lack of faith, lack of love for God himself. How do you love people more? Have faith in Christ and what he has said. Know him and love him and this will transform your thinking and your passions and your desires. You will want to love people. It's a delight to you to love people. That is what we want. Love for people. I want to read for you out of 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7, and we're bringing things to a close here. Love and obedience are the results of genuine faith. Please, if you're leaving today, which I actually anticipate all of you are, when you leave today, know this. Love and obedience to God, love for God's people, which is obedience to him, because it's his command to love one another, right? It's the result of genuine faith. Do you see it? I want to I read First uh, <clears throat> Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, verses uh, three through seven. 
I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you might charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Here's how Paul sums the issue up. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without even understanding what they're saying or the things by which they make confident assertions. That's because people are trying to fix fix the issues from from the outside in. But what Paul is saying, here is the point. Loving one another comes from a heart of love. Love that issues from a pure heart. A good conscience, a sincere faith. So tell me, what has been your motivation for loving other people? So that you might appear as a faithful person or because you want to, because you love God and you love his commands. What I'm trying to help you see this morning is that we need to change our viewpoint at least some of the time, if not all the time. Why love them? Why love the family who sees it as so important that they will be here no matter how much their children cry and scream, I'm going to take the effort to be here. Why love them? Why insist on my own way and say, but I don't want to hear your baby cry? And the opposite is true. If you love the children of God, why subject them to your child crying? Uh Uh-oh, so both are true, right? I use that because it happened, right? But how did we view that scenario? It also happened before, and I addressed it then too. But it's the real life stuff that we have to consider. This is not theoretical. We're not writing a paper about it this morning, are we? I don't know, you could. You can submit it to me later. If you want, if that's your thing. But aren't we more concerned with how this actually plays out in reality among us? How do you love the person next to you? The people who are unlike you? And why do you love them? Why do you give of yourself for them? Why do you, why do you try to outdo them in serving them? Oh, you're going to serve me? No, 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 I'm going to serve you better than you serve me. I'm going to love you more than you love me. My love to you is never ending. I can't pay my debt of how much I need to love you. Why? It's not because it's a burdensome task and I'm trying to prove to you that I'm a good Christian person. No, I want to love you. I want to love you because I love God and I love all that he says. And it's a delight to me to love you. It is a delight to me, to burden myself for your sake. I would much rather you be comfortable than me because I love you. And then I'll end with this. We've already said it, but I just want to make it more clear. Our faith is what overcomes this world. 
faith is love for God, love for his commandments and his children. That is, if you have true faith, guess what that's going to look like? You're going to love God, you're going to love his commandments, you're going to love his children. So tell me, is that what it looks like in your life? John is trying to make these two groups of people very clear in our minds. And he's saying, so which group do you belong to? And so for us, this means, I think for the vast majority, I actually get a clearer picture of who I'm supposed to be and I recognize that I'm, I'm not quite there. I have more to do. Not because I'm trying to earn God's favor, not because I'm trying to look more Christian, but I've just been awakened or I, I've just seen by the word of God that I, I, my love has not been as bright or full that it needs to, it's been dull. I've had a dull love. And it's all a faith issue because if I genuinely have faith in Christ and my faith is growing and my love for him is growing, then so should my love for others be. But it's hard. Well, when it's hard, have faith in Christ that what he commands you to do is only good. Right? So although it's difficult for you to love and to be, you know, burdened, eh, I don't really like that. Consider God is not commanding you to do something that's not good for you or for his people, but he's commanding us to do something that he delights in himself. So we're excited to do it, right? I hope you've understood this morning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, and that's where we're gonna end today. Uh, but think about these questions. Who is able to escape the corruption of this world? Who is able to overpower the world and its influence? Who is it that overcomes the world? None except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And if we are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then we have overcome the world and it doesn't hold us captive. And so now we are free to love one another. And we should be pursuing that exceedingly more. All right, last two verses and we'll close here. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This is our call. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray.